So, Cher, Sir. how much do you know about Afghanistan? I think a little bit more than the average person. Okay. I don't think everyone is fully reading up on situations or maybe even paying attention to how this got to the point where it's yeah. at now. That's what we like to examine here at Hot Pocket. Yeah. First, we're going to explore Cold War and how that affected Afghanistan, how that affected Afghanistan and Pakistan relations, mm-hmm. and how that led to the destabilization of the country and the rise of the Mujahideen, which I'm sure you guys are familiar with that name. Yep. And then after that, in part two, we'll go into the rise of the group we know today, the Taliban. Yes, sir. And obviously that first part is incredibly important, important. to the rise of the Taliban. It's just like anything else to when there's some form of escalation. There's been many escalations in the past 20 years, but you have to look at the root of the problem. Exactly. Or like, where did where did this start? Yeah. And we're going to take you through it. Well, Saad's going to take you through it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am the historian here, but Cher is always good with good questions and everything yeah. and offering points of analysis. So after we explore where the Taliban came from, then we'll get to the most important part for, I would imagine, most of our viewers who are from America. Mm-hmm. The U.S. invasion in 2001 and the subsequent occupation and the reconstruction, everything that happened after that. Well, not everything. Again, right. it's a lot. Now, I do want to preface everything here. We are not experts. Nope. We are not scholars. Mm-mm. In fact, we are very tired. Yeah. So, And we're trying to cover everything in about 40 to 50 minutes. Yeah. 40 years worth of history this is an incredibly complex not just like 40 years of history even like the past 20 years oh, has yeah. been incredibly complex so it's not pointing fingers like one group did it one group didn't do it it's well i mean i well, ah, there's some groups deserving more blame yeah let's start with Afghanistan in the 1970s, 1980s, okay? So, in 1973, the last king of Afghanistan, Zahir Shah, Mm -hmm. was overthrown. So, Afghanistan did have a king up until 1973. He was overthrown in a coup d'etat by his own goddamn cousin. Some family business, Some family business right there, and you thought you had it bad. His name is Muhammad Daud Khan. Now, I also want to be clear... I'm going to butcher a lot of the pronunciations. I'll, I'll correct you. So, Muhammad Daud Khan came to power, and he played every side possible. Keep in mind, 1973 is during the Cold War, mm-hmm. and pretty much every geopolitical event in the world is taking place between two superpowers. Who are those superpowers? The United States of A and USSR, baby. So, Muhammad Daud Khan... You know, I'm trying to keep my country safe. I'm trying to keep my power. I'm going to play to the USA. I'm going to play to the USSR. Yeah. One of the main parties in Afghanistan that was backing him was the PDPA, the People's Democratic Party of Afghanistan. That was a Marxist, communist, Marxist-Leninist party. I guess it's a communist party, right? Aligns with? USSR. Yeah. They had very good ties and they had a good uh, relationship there. Over time... That party grew a little bit too powerful within the country. And by extension, that means the USSR had more and more of an influence in Afghanistan. Daud Khan noticed that, did not like that one country was getting too much power because he was trying to find a balance between the US and USSR. He was trying to play like all pockets. He was trying to make sure he had both foot in in different doors and just try to create some stability and one 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 kind of tipped the scales that's when he kind of was and like oh. he was like oh but it was too late at that point yeah he tried limiting elections and doing all that stuff to cut down the pdpa didn't matter they had a coup 
They overthrew him, and that was in 1978. The Soviet Union invaded on behalf of the PDPA, and that was called the Saw Revolution. Now, there's a lot of things that happen after that for the next couple of years. Multiple power struggles, multiple people going in and out of the presidency, the prime ministership. Eventually, the USSR settles on one guy, Muhammad Najibullah. Again, pronunciations, probably whack. Love it. Najibullah. So that's their guy. And he starts instituting Soviet-style economic reforms. I am not an expert in any of that. I'm not going to make a claim about how those worked or any domestic legislation. We'll put that aside. Now, same time this is happening, because again, Cold War, USSR has been in the focus of our story. The USA obviously sees what's happening here. Now, they don't like that the USSR is getting so involved in this country and establishing a foothold in the Middle East. So what did they do? The CIA goes to... Our motherland. The motherland. <laughs> Our Sharonized Sh- motherland, Pakistan. Yep. And the CIA gives funding to the ISI. The ISI is the Inter-Services Intelligence, basically the Pakistani CIA. CIA. Yeah. And they said, hey, we're going to give you a lot of money. You go and train and give weapons to militant Islamic Groups. Fighters. Fighters. Which, which across the Middle East, they're known as the Mujahideen, which yeah. is like the Muslim fighters who are fighting the jihad. And the it's jihad, a very broad term. Yeah, and jihad jihad literally just means struggle. I mean, there are guerrilla organizations, but they're just Islamic fighters throughout the Middle East. They were the Mujahideen. There's different factions of them, but this is who the ISA was being used to funnel money through. Yeah, we're talking about the Afghan Mujahideen yes, specifically. specifically in this case. And now, to be clear, because I don't want to make this seem like Oh, Pakistan did this because of the U.S.? Pakistan and Afghanistan have had beef beef for a very long time. And and Pakistan has tried to instigate. In fact, they were already funding and arming militant groups against Afghanistan. It's just that when the U.S. gives you money, you go from a 2008 Camry <laughs> to, the, to a 2020 Audi. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and you go something like it's just it's significantly more. Yeah. And another thing that like we have to realize as by Pakistanis and Pakistani listeners out there is that like this isn't any kind of like anti-Pakistani stuff. We have to hold our government yeah. responsible for their behavior too because for far too long Pakistan has been little cucks for Americans uh-huh. and American money. Yeah. And even if they don't bend over the CIA will take care of them. Yeah. President Bhutto was pretty amenable to a lot of things that the U.S. wanted, but he didn't want to get too involved in the Cold War aspect yeah. of it. And so the U.S. said, fuck you, we're getting our guy in there. Bhutto was overthrown and killed and hung by his general. Yeah. The general was on the CIA's payroll. Yeah. And that general then would go on to continue the anti-Afghan operations via the Mujahideen. So, eventually... The Soviet Union withdraws because they think that Afghanistan is stable enough. They said, look, we went in here to help you out. We're still your ally. We're going to send you foreign aid and military aid, but we're going to get our troops out of the grounds. Proxy wars. Proxy. Yeah, it's a proxy <laughs> war. So at this point, Afghanistan is considered, like as a state, its official title is the DRA, the Democratic Republic of Afghanistan. In 1991, the Soviet Union crumbles. Mm-hmm. The DRA was incredibly reliant on the USSR for funding and support. So naturally, that made it in the long... Because keep in mind, this entire time, they've been fighting the Mujahideen. Mm-hmm. Mujahideen was able to take them down after this. Yeah. In particular, there's this Mujahideen leader named... Gul- I'm going to really fuck this up. <laughs> Gulbuddin Hekmatyar. I- well, yeah, you try looking at that. Wait, wait, where is it? We're going to call him Gul. Our good friend Gul. So Gul was a Mujahideen leader 
who got the most amount of funding and support from Pakistan compared to every other one. Yes. He led a specific faction and he was the most radical mm-hmm. and the most dangerous. Now, at this point, these different factions were competing with one another. This was done as a, a function of the Peshawar Accords, mm-hmm. where the different Mujahideen factions signed and said, look, we're going to power share. We're all going to have different parts of the country to ourselves. Naturally, it was never that clean. There was conflict arose. Never, never a clean transaction. I, I think there was about seven main Mujahideen factions. The big ones. Yeah, the big ones. And even them, when they when they took over, they couldn't decide on like one who would be the leader because that's just in their nature, yeah. right? And also, some were really radical, and other ones were like, "No, we just wanted to fight for Afghanistan. Yeah. We're, we were good." And other ones wanted to take things step further. Yeah. And Gul proposed a specific plan to mass bombard. Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, mm-hmm. the goal was to destroy half of the capital. Right. Now, the different Mujahideen factions, a lot of them did not agree to this. Like, obviously, they, they want to fight the communists. They want to get Soviet influence out of their country. But they did not co-sign on anything that would get that many of their uh, fellow countrymen killed. Yeah. In particular, one of them, Ahmad Shah Massoud, who we will get to yeah. in detail. He is a fascinating character. Yeah relented on this and he said absolutely not and so this led to an afghan civil war from 1992-1996 these different factions of the muhaddin were competing with another entire time remember pakistan is still funding the shit out of the most radical of them yep saudi arabia and iran wanted to get a piece of the action oh, saudi was definitely in saudi there. arabia was definitely involved but you know so was iran because they want to establish themselves because you know they're all very close in the region right yeah. geographically well, we wanted to destabilize this one, so relatively speaking, I'm more powerful. Yeah. How do you take down Afghanistan and by proxy everyone who was funding money to them? You send more money to groups who you align with. Yeah. And we transition into our second phase, mm-hmm. the rise of the Taliban. Yep. Now, typically, most people attribute the rise of the Taliban in, like, 1990-ish. Right. There's this Mullah Muhammad Omar, who was from the city of Kandahar. And he took 50 madrasa students. And madrasas are religious schools, yeah. for people who don't know. And most of these students came from schools in Pakistan, like in Peshawar, yeah. which is, like, the northern part of Pakistan. Which, right now, even till today, is a very stronghold of Taliban like, yeah. forces. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a rough spot. We're going to keep hammering this, but you cannot separate what the Taliban does, its history, from Pakistan. Yeah. It is it's literally impossible. No. In the year 2000, there was a rough estimate that about 30 to 40% of the members of the Taliban were just Pakistani people. Yeah. So... For any Pakistani people, any Pakistani Americans who keep trying to downplay that, yeah. you need to reassess. Yeah. You absolutely need to reassess. So let's get back to it, though. Mullah Muhammad Omar took 50 people, and by 1994, they had conquered several provinces in central and southern Afghanistan. And actually, it was not just 50 people. They, they kept grew growing, over time. Yeah. Kept growing over time. Part of that is because, you know, one, people want to lie with the strongest side. Two, people were generally aware of the influence from foreign countries. You kind of create a nationalist resentment Mm -hmm. of foreign influence. And the Taliban was preaching something resembling a community, an Islamic community, a very misogynistic Islamic community. There's so many things we can say about that. But for people in dire status, 
that is something to latch on to. Yeah. So that kind of explains the appeal. And I'm not saying that the Taliban is popular like or was ever popular. Appeal. No, people, but like for some people, it's something to latch on to. People have to look at the psychological factors of it too. Like exactly what you mentioned, when you have nothing and something is off, someone is offering you something, you're mm-hmm. like, oh, wait, I might throw my affinity towards them. Exactly. And that's how a lot of these people get fighters young fighters i mean technically the united states military does the same thing well, yeah we like, should <laughs> we got no we got no uh room to stand on yeah so while this is happening the guy we mentioned before ahmad shah masood who is title and this is a really tight title he is the lion of now i'm gonna butcher this one as well the lion of can you read that one share you read that one Bunshir. 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 Lion of Bunshir. Lion of Bunshir. Lion is something. I've heard That's also, a dope one. I've also heard him um, be referred to as Lion of Islam. So, Ahmad Shah Masood was Secretary of Defense at this point. And he put up an amazing fight against the Taliban, who was growing and growing and growing and constantly taking over. Keep in mind, this is all happening during this civil war period. Mm-hmm. The Taliban was one of many groups. We're focusing on them because, well, obvious reasons. You know why, if you've yeah. been reading the headlines. But... Eventually, Shah Massoud decided to organize a peace conference between all the different Mujahideen factions. And he invited the Taliban. He wanted to negotiate because he recognized that this intercommunal violence was getting a lot of civilians killed. Mm -hmm. Every faction agreed, except for the Taliban. And frankly, if you're the Taliban, there's no reason for you to go because you're winning. Yeah. When someone does a peace agreement like that, it's because like, oh, they're losing. Yeah, we need a way out. We need a way out. It's like, oh, I'm going to keep pushing. Yep. And so eventually, in 1996, the Taliban sacks Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan. Now, keep in mind, Part one. Part one. Shah Massoud did not die. He, He gets out of there. He's still fighting for many years. And, in fact, people still credit him as being kind of a last bastion for Afghans. Yeah. Because wherever he was, Taliban couldn't really get into. Yeah. He, he deserves that goddamn title. No, he's, he's a share, bro. He's a fucking, he's a goddamn share. <clears throat> Tire time, Pakistan and Saudi Arabia have never stopped funneling the money. Taliban. Yeah. And, and by proxy, the U.S., because part of the Pakistan's funding comes yeah. from the CIA. Yeah. And if this isn't very clear, if you didn't pick this trend up already... The United States started funding through Pakistan and funding these fighters to fight Soviet soldiers and Soviet-aligned mm-hmm. Afghan armies in Afghanistan. And those were the same which I had been, like we've said, they've broken into factions and turned into the Taliban. So yeah. if you look at the Taliban, you follow the money, yeah. it leads right back to the United exactly. States. Any, everything that's happening today is coming from Cold War politics. Yeah. So if you say stuff like, I don't want to know about the Cold War, well, if you want to know about what's happening today, you should know about the Cold War. Because yeah. Afghanistan was, for a fairly long period of time, with different factions, of course, a socialist country. In fact, a communist state at one point yeah. became socialist. It's, it's tried to take out the communist stuff because they wanted America to stop attacking them. Yeah. So they're like, look, USSR, I like you. But let's keep this on a down low yeah. type thing. It's like we're not Facebook sneaky official link. anymore. <laughs> yeah, sneaky link. Like, oh, yo, so what you doing after this? Right. Basically, that's what happened. Now, there's a very interesting story which will tie into mm-hmm. our next section. Keep on Shah Massoud, alive after the sack of Kabul, continued fighting. Eventually, he goes to a European peace conference in 2001. Hmm. And he asks the international community, please... Come help and us. help do something. We this, need help. We need help. This is a ruthless group of radical Islamic extremists. They are incredibly 
uh, misogynistic, uh, incredibly repressive. Everything that you hear, the schools for mm-hmm. women and whatnot, this man literally risked his life leaving Afghanistan and went yeah. all the way to Europe to ha- for a cry of help, essentially. Yeah. Risk his life indeed. Yeah. He, on the same speech, had a dire warning for the U.S. He said, we have on good authority that these radical extremists, and I don't think he explicitly said Taliban, mm-hmm. but he just said radical extremists, are plotting a large-scale attack on the U.S. Remember, this peace conference happened in 2001. 2001. And then on September 9th, 9-9-2001, Guess what happened, he was assassinated. It was a suicide bomb uh, and that killed him. Yeah. On his way back to Afghanistan. I, I might be wrong about that. I don't think it was literally right back, but it was like shortly afterwards. Okay. Two days after that assassination, you know what happens. 9-11. 9-11. Of course, that takes us to the U.S. invasion. Immediately after 9-11. Now, we all know now. All the attackers were Saudi. Well, not all of them, but most of them were Saudi. None yeah. of them were Afghan. Yeah. None of them were Taliban. This is Al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. And Osama bin Laden, Al-Qaeda, are being held in Afghanistan. Yeah. Not being held. They are taking refuge in Afghanistan. Yep. Which the Taliban was allowing to happen. Yes. They were also training. They were, they were, letting, the Al- they were letting Al-Qaeda fighters train in their facilities. Mm-hmm. And basically housing Osama whenever he was coming in and out, like if it was a fucking resort. And Osama bin Laden was also hiding in Pakistan. Yeah. Which, to, to, to me, I just don't see any world where an agency that has so much money is being funded by the United States just doesn't know that Osama yeah. is hiding. They absolutely know. Yeah. September 11th happens. October 2001. Only one month later, U.S. invades Afghanistan in what is called Operation Enduring Freedom. Fucking pretentious ass name. Pretty quintessential America. Now, here's the thing. In November of that same year, one month after, Taliban makes an offer. We don't want to fight. Y'all are stupid powerful. Because it's not just the U.S. It is the British. Mm -hmm. It's also the remnants of all the Afghan fighters who were fighting the Taliban. They are now something called the United Fronts. Also known as the Northern Alliance. They recognize, like, we're going to get our ass handed handed to us. So they make an offer. We will give up. We will surrender. Our only ask is that Mullah Muhammad Omar, again, the founder of the Taliban, he just doesn't do anything. He's not going to do anything. You let him live in Kandahar, his hometown. Mm -hmm. Also, the essentially the hometown, the inception of the Taliban movement. Yep. That's the only ask. Not a bad one, right? U.S. says... Absolutely not. We're going to fuck you up. We're going to fuck all of y'all up. Because the entire mission statement after 9-11 was that Al-Qaeda attacked us, but anyone we even think is remotely is remotely related to Al-Qaeda or even aiding or abetting them, you are basically Al-Qaeda to yeah. us. And so we're going to mete out justice to you. Yeah, which came at the hands of a couple hundred thousand civilians as well. Oh, yeah. And we're going to get to the, the numbers and the casualties. Yeah. But we bring that up to point out that there was a way out. All the stories and headlines you're seeing now. Yep. 20 years. 20 years of war. Literally two months in, we had a way out of yep. this. And I do want to interject real quick. Because if I was... I mean, I am American. I'm an American citizen. But if yeah. I was fully white and 9-11 happened, I would want my country to go do something about it. Yeah. So, I mean, I've heard this talking point too before. Like, what, what was the United States supposed to do? Like, not do anything about it? Not attack, you know, go into Afghanistan, put boots on the ground, and help, you know, like stand up for their nation so 
I, I don't agree with it. If you have a way out, because you know this is going to topple Afghanistan, you're going to kill so many civilians. Why would you like not do it? But I yeah. understand. I don't. I'm not. Uh, I don't want to say I understand because I know it's wrong. Yeah. But I get why people were like, "Well, we need to show our strength." That war happens by 2003. The fighting is officially declared over we're going to talk about because america stayed in afghanistan as we know up until just very recently literally yeah so we're going to talk about some of the elements of the quote-unquote reconstruction the nation building that happened america was effectively in charge of afghanistan or gave the funding to this new interim government body Mm -hmm. to create an infrastructure so one of the main things is that while America was there, you know, there's resentment of the occupying force. Eventually, the Taliban starts making a comeback because they were never like completely defeated. They mm-hmm. just kind of tacitly surrendered. But, you know, they make a comeback. More and more people are adding to the ranks. Where did that funding come from? How did the Taliban have that much money to keep fighting? Opium. Yeah. One of Afghanistan's, arguably the most crucial cash crop for Afghanistan is... The most crucial. The most crucial. Actually, yes, yeah. the most cru- crucial is opium. What do you use opium for? Drugs. For morphine and heroin yeah. specifically. You process the opium seeds. You make morphine and heroin. 85% of the all opium in the entire world... In the entire world. ...comes from Afghanistan. Yeah. The entire GDP of, of Afghanistan... Seven percent of the entire gross domestic product of that country comes from opium sales. Now you might think seven percent. If I get that on a test, that's very low. Seven percent of a country's entire GDP. You're talking about billions. That is an insane amount of money. Yeah. Now what's interesting is that in the year 2000, because keep in mind 2000, the Taliban was still in charge. This was right. before America invaded. The Taliban was like, "Yo, opium production." That's on Islamic. Yeah. We're shutting it down. We're going to kill people. But this is on Islamic. This this is fucked up. He's saying everyone was scared enough the Taliban that that actually cut down production because nobody wants to cross the Taliban. Yeah. The the numbers estimate that about 90% of production got cut in like a year, year and a half. So after America comes back in, the Taliban needs a way to get funny to start well, fighting they, back. They were also sanctioned. They they not only yes. the United States was not only their boots on the ground, yeah. thousands of troops. They also sanctioned the Afghan government, which was the Taliban at that point too, mm-hmm. and because they were in control and the crops, everything. So that turned them back to this cash yeah. cow. Yeah, it is a huge source of money, and the Bush administration, by all accounts, did not really consider that in its security counterinsurgency program Mm -hmm. and its ability to fight Taliban never like on the PowerPoint presentation did they have a section for like oh this is how we would deal with opium yeah no now this kind of leads me into a specific point a specific theory one of the things you hear about US occupation is that oh don't you see the US is so incompetent Oh, we just, we didn't really try. It's always something implying that there was a version of the U.S. that actually had the intent on doing something good. Right. My theory, and this is not a, this is a, not a particularly hot take, right? This is a pretty common take, is that the goal was not to actually overthrow the Taliban. I mean, that was part of it. Yeah. The goal was really to enrich 
weapons manufacturers, government contractors, etc., etc., etc. If you look at throughout history, World War One, World War Two, and you look at the economy mm-hmm. afterwards, war is an em- economic benefactor. Metro booming. Yeah, metro booming. Metro literally. booming. If you don't, if we don't, tr- if Metro don't trust you, we gonna shoot you. We gonna shoot literally. you. Literally. So one of the most fascinating things that came out of the story about Afghanistan was that the U.S., the State Department, was hiring security details to guard their envoys, their, like, cargo envoys to, like, bases. Like, look, we're going to hire some people whenever we transport goods to and from, right? There's a lot of reporting to suggest that the groups that they were hiring were basically adjacent to the Taliban. Mm -hmm. Let me restate that. Essentially, the claim is that the United States government, the Department of Defense, was basically giving the money to the Taliban to defend from Taliban attacks right. to deliver the weapons, which would then be used to fight the Taliban. That sounds conspiratorial, right? Yeah, but, also, but it sounds very something like that happens. It's self-fulfilling. It's cyclical. Yeah. It's war has to recreate its own terms yeah. on why you have to fight it. Yeah. If we give you money... You have more money to get weapons, and that gives us a justification to, to buy keep, more keep weapons. Fighting, yeah. And then Lockheed Martin and Raytheon yeah. and all those groups—they are just making a shit ton of money. Yeah. In Syria right now, I literally read, read a report uh, couple, last week, and this was before like all this kind of like took over. The military, the most of the military bases in Syria mm-hmm. are around oil fields and yeah. oil rigs. So it's not like oh they're like there to protect them, you know, the Syrian yeah. against like Assad or anything. Yeah, it's specifically for the oil. Yeah. and their their main transport yeah. that they protect isn't to like go patrol. It's to transport the oil. They're yeah. literally stealing oil from yeah. from Syria. In 2019, the Washington Post put out this bombshell report called the Afghanistan Papers, where it was a six parter where they detailed how much the Pentagon, the State Department, the entire U.S. government lied about how well they were doing in Afghanistan. The point they were making is that not only like the, the this things they say to the U.S. population was it false, it's also they knew it was false. They knew it was false because they wanted to keep this, this war going, regardless of like how well it was actually doing. The infrastructure is garbage. It's shit. The military is paid like shit. It's poorly trained. Yeah. The goal of this was primarily... To get money to government contractors, to defense contractors. There was a special inspector general called SIGAR that the U.S. government made because they're like, we need to figure out where all this money in Afghanistan, where it went. And they found that most of it was embezzled by government institutions in Afghanistan that were propped up by the U.S. and also private military contractors. Most of that money never actually made contact to any of the people in Afghanistan or any of the infrastructure or any of the water. They couldn't even, like, build dams properly. There was no communication. There was no understanding. No, nothing. We spent 20 years and Mm -hmm. over $2 trillion on this war. Yeah. And within ten, like that's just still mind blowing to me. No, not not two trillion. It's like about one trillion. Okay, one trillion. I mean, one trillion is an insane amount. Trillion is not even a real number. Trillion is not a real number to me. We can't even fathom what a trillion is. But twenty years and over a trillion dollars, and we pull out, and within ten days, there was no infrastructure. There was no nothing. That was never the goal. And that's not even like talking about like we've been we've been like heavy on like the politics of this, and I just Mm want to take a moment to talk about the humanity in this that. For 30, 40 years, this is the state of, of Afghanistan, and specifically in the past 20 years since 9-11 happened and we've been there, 
there have been babies born who have known nothing but war. Yeah. Like, the, the images Someone, coming out of right now, mm-hmm. people clinging on to U.S. Yeah. planes and, like, military planes and falling out of the sky. Yeah. It, I just don't understand how this is a real place. Somebody could have been born after the U.S. invaded and now be old enough to vote in any theoretical election, wherever yeah. that might be now. Yeah. That's it, how long it's been. It's just absolutely, like, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Like, this is, I, I've, everyone's on this wave where we're just seeing this, and we just want better for the Afghan people. Yeah. I just also want to point out that it's not just that the U.S. funded all this stuff and, and mismanaged everything. The CA also organized death squads in Afghanistan, Afghanistani paramilitary groups, and their goal was to target and hunt the Taliban. The problem is that they literally thought, like, oh, anybody who is even like within 50 kilometers of the Taliban is a potential target because they could be radicalized in the future. Yeah. There are so many countless stories of like young men, like boys getting killed by these death squads. So we posted on both our personal accounts and the podcast Podcast. account questions that people might have, uh, resources that they might want to direct us to, general points of discussion. Yeah. So we want to hit on those mostly because we could keep rambling, but the things we could ramble about are things that these questions ask anyway. So first and foremost was a question about feminism. Yes. Now, you might be thinking, what the fuck does feminism have to do with this? You're hearing a lot now about, you know, the women and children of Afghanistan. And for a very good reason, the Taliban is especially going to be very harsh on them. Yeah. So the question really was, is the feminist argument neoliberal? And is it one and the same of the same argument that got us into Afghanistan in the first place? So let's break that down because that's a lot of words. And if you don't already know those terms, you might be thinking like, what the fuck am I hearing? What what, what did I just say? Neoliberal means a lot of things. And frankly, I don't have time to go into what that means. But it is often used as just a way of, of saying capitalism imperialism etc 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 i don't think that's the, the proper usage but people can understand it's taking that terms. form now it's taking that form now the question is asking does feminism get invoked to justify imperialism exploitations of capitalism and is that happening now and was it happening before yeah the question's very pointed because I, of course, agree with it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. One, it's a great question. I think it helps kind of shape how we were going to talk about this. Yes. So I kind of want to move the same question into the same, the next question that the same person asked, honestly, um, which ties in really well, is that are the same people who destroyed Afghanistan, mm-hmm. can they save it? Mm-hmm. And this kind of goes back into how did we get involved in this yes. was feminist was neoliberal feminism was that did neoliberals use feminism as a talking point to get in invested into afghanistan mm-hmm. in the beginning mm-hmm. you know like the one they, they attacked us 9-11 and secondly look how they treat the women and yeah. children we need to go do something about that's, this that's very that's a very common uh, point especially for muslim women mm-hmm. take pictures of women in burqas or hijabs and who are like kind of dirty send them to like rich white women them, them gals will be hooting and hollering for military in action. Yeah. But also, one, that's 100% true. What, uh, this is another question that is really good with this. What is the difference between that time and this time? Yeah. The intervention. Because now, 
I feel like the sentiment that all these people who are like speaking up for Afghanistan is like, well, we need to do something. Yeah. And it's like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's take this back into 2001 because yeah. that's the same. Exactly. Most of the talking points were the same what we were talking about. But what's the difference? Is this one really different? Like yeah. that this time around, this go around, yeah. we're like, shit, we really need to do something. And it doesn't have to be exactly the same for it to be similar enough. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because obviously things are very different. One, we're not coming right off 9-11. No. Joe Biden as a president is pretty firm in On saying that like we're not we're not doing back. nation building. Yeah. And that's kind of an evolution on his part because when he was part of the Obama administration, Obama did this thing called the surge. Because back in like 2010, he went all back in and sent way more troops in Afghanistan. Right. Joe Biden co-signed that. I think he's evolved. Hey friends, it's Saad coming back in post. I'm correcting the record. I was very tired at the time of the recording. Joe Biden was actually one of the few voices who dissented. Obama basically wanted a huge influx of troops all at once, troops on the ground. Joe Biden suggested instead for surgical strikes, you know, smaller specialty groups to go in. And eventually, because of Joe Biden's dissent, the surge, while still being a massive deployment of troops, ended up being a bit smaller than Obama had originally planned for. And I suppose we could thank Joe Biden for that. It didn't really make that much of a practical difference, but I do want to get the record straight. Now, let's get back to the show. It doesn't matter what he personally thinks. If enough public pressure gets him and Congress to, you know, because because of, you know, earnest good intentions, I want to do something. The, the way America is going to try to help is through war. Yeah. And that's why I try to, like, caution against, like, this whole, what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. And this is what I was also thinking about is that, like, I think if you spend 20 years destabilizing and fighting in one nation— you have some moral obligation to make sure that the civilians mm-hmm. of that country after you leave are okay. Yeah. Because not only did you have allies there, yeah, you just they were just you they were, were just fighting civilians. on their land. You were, yeah. and it's like you're just gonna leave them now. Yeah. You got what you needed. You you did what you had to do. You f- basically failed, but you enriched yourself and took things. But now you're just like leaving them. There's definitely a moral obligation. There. One of the most common questions that I think a lot of people are asking, not just for to us specifically, is what can we do? What can America do without intervening? Because I think people generally have a better idea that, oh, the U.S. caused this, so we should not send troops, but we should do something, yeah. right? Taking the refugees. At the very fucking least, yeah. let's take in the refugees. Yeah. Like as many as possibly can, which I think is a lot. I, yeah. I think a lot of people are not being honest about how many we could actually take in without it doing anything to our economy. Yeah. We'd be fine. Yeah. We have a moral obligation to do that. Maybe it wouldn't just be the US, UK, parts of Europe, wherever. Pakistan it, should do it too. Pakistan. Well, uh, Pakistan, okay, here, we're going to get into like a different topic too. Yeah. It, it's tricky, right? Because. As we've laid out so many times, Pakistan is, in a lot of ways, not solely, but very responsible for this. Mm-hmm. They, I'm also seeing a lot of people who are, I clearly, I know for a fact, are Pakistani American, or maybe they immigrated from Pakistan when they were very young, like like you. Yeah. Thank and you. they are sharing memes and not memes, like actual news stories via Instagram stories about, look, Pakistan is. Um, housing Afghan journalists who fled, right? Like trying to show that, oh, Pakistan's doing something, right? Let me make an analogy for you real quick. Do it. Everybody knows how much money the U.S. gives to Israel yeah, and what Israel does with that money on the Palestinian people. Right. Okay, what if I also told you that the U.S. also has refugee programs for Palestinians 
and also send some money to Palestine. Because both of those are true, yeah. right? Now, would you say that bounces out? No. Absolutely not. not. So when Pakistan has spent over 40 years, and we're only talking about the Taliban, I'm sure if you go back even further, there has been so many other examples of aggression between Pakistan and Afghanistan. And granted, some of it is also Afghanistan doing bad things to Pakistan. I'm I'm sure of that. Yes, it's both sides. It's it's both sides, but overall, Pakistan has done way more damage because of other things happening. Better economy, everything, yeah. I don't really care. I mean, good for you. Taking the journalists, yeah. give extra refugees where you can. But most of the damage is your fault. You could do a lot more. You could do a lot better. I want to take this more on a micro level. Uh-huh. Because last time I was in Pakistan, I, I might have told you the story maybe beforehand. But I was in Pakistan and one day I was having breakfast with my mom in, yeah. in the kitchen in, in Bindi. We were with Raul Bindi, right? Family was there. One of my cousin's wives was in the kitchen with us. Mm-hmm. And I was like just looking up things to do. And I told my mom, I was like, mom. There is an Afghani refugee camp in Islamabad. Let's go get some things, you know, some toys, some can- stuff for the kids, you know, give it out there. Yeah. And kind of just do our part as much as we can. Yeah. And my cousin's wife oh, no. turns to me and she's like, why do you want to help them out? Mm. She was like, why do you want to help them out? Why, do you, why don't you want to help out your people first? Be like, they have so much already. Talking about refugees per se. All right? Yeah, refugees have a yeah. shit ton. So I just want this is this is highlighting the Pakistani sentiment in Pakistan, like yeah. actual Pakistani people. I'm not saying all Pakistani people in Pakistan are like yeah. this, but my it's it's fairly my, common. Yeah, it's common, and the sentiment that they have around uh, Afghanistani people, they think that it's the same as how MAGA thinks about Latinos. Yeah. That oh, they're coming over here and taking our jobs. Yeah, they're bringing disease and drugs yeah. because poppy, you know, yeah. uh, opium is really big. So they think any kind of drug comes from Afghanistan, which. Mm-hmm. Large part probably. Like, does. That's that's true, but that's not. But like, they're like the no, fault of any individual. Afghanis is not coming over and shooting people up. Oh, to be, uh, somebody's gonna get my ass about this. I know Afghani is the wrong word. It's Afghan. Afghan, Afghan. is. Yeah, it's just it's for some reason Afghan. Afghani comes off easier. Yeah. Af- Afghan is what you call that person. Okay, from my apologies. Yeah. So, I and I got into it with her. I was like, "What do you mean these people? These people are fleeing wars that we started." And I actually didn't know all this stuff, like, you know, the internal details when I was talking to her. Yeah. But, and this is, this, she's a lawyer as well yeah. in Pakistan. So she's a smart person, yeah. but an idiot at the same time. So I was, I, I called her out on it. I was like, you're the same person who shares shit on Facebook about how Muslims are being, dis, you know, mistreated in America and MAGA and yeah. they're doing all this. And then you turn around and do the same thing at home. Yeah. You're doing this to some other poor group. Everybody wants to be a Karen to somebody. They yeah. just don't like it when they're being karen on. Yeah. And this, I was just like, I, I didn't listen to her. And we, me and my mom got stuff. And, like, we actually couldn't, like, go into it. But we dropped off things had to get yeah shout out shout out share and nergus yeah nergus always holding down man nergus always holding down yeah. but yeah that that's an incredibly important point because even amongst the afghan people there is a specific minority like, especially like shias are way in way more danger than anybody else yeah. uh because the taliban is extremist sunni, sunni yeah i believe there's a specific minority the hazara the hazarite uh, community they're an ethnic minority that have been brutally raped murdered land is stolen from you your home is stolen from you pakistan did that the u.s did that nobody gives a shit because i'm a little bit concerned that not even just a little bit concerned i'm pretty confident that in two three weeks once all the posting's over nobody's gonna care 
Now, on some level, that might the general public. The general, hey, I'm yeah. talking about like the general public, like all the people posting these colorful infographics, because y'all know how I feel yeah. about infographics at this point. So, basically, to wrap this up. Our last question that we got was also a really good one, and to me, it was a very telling one, yes. right? The question was, what do you guys think is the resolution? And I and I appreciate this person for asking this because, like, they genuinely want to know. But first of all, we are not in the position to make a resolution for this. Yeah. I appreciate that somebody is, like, reaching out and being like, yeah. hey, like, what do y'all think? Just, like, uh, just knowing our opinion on this. Um, so we appreciate that, but... As we, we tried to lay out yeah. the history of Afghanistan in this only 40-year period that we went over... In 40 minutes. In in 40 minutes is very complicated. Yeah. Is, I, we did not go nearly in-depth on the Pakistani angle, the Irani angle, I think even China and Germany. There's so many other angles. So it's a very complicated situation. The best we can do, I, I would say for one, is not to push America to invade again. Because I think that it's going to be people's knee-jerk reaction. Once the Taliban really gets settled in and does a lot more, I feel like people are going to want America to invade again. I feel, yeah. So I think because I stand on the side of a moral obligation, Uh I think the United States should do something. Okay. I'm on that side of things. I don't don't know. We just kind of talked about how fucked up it has been. But I think... Because they have so much power, bro. No one else yeah. is one. If the United States isn't doing anything, and if the United States sends out word to the to yeah. Pakistan to other countries, hey, don't don't uh-huh. do nothing. No one's gonna do it because yeah. no one's gonna cross the United States. So it's really on them. UN doesn't have a power. You know, UN doesn't really. You doesn't power. do anything. They don't have. They don't have an army. That's that's power, baby. Yeah. Money and money it and is. armies. I mean, I, I will complicate that a little bit by pointing out that China and Russia have armies and they're getting involved with this. I don't know what their angles or anything, but yeah. you know, the U S is not the only thing. My concern is that as we kind of laid out, this goes to the original, that question that somebody asked before, right? Did the people who cause this problem, are they in a position to do anything about it? Yeah. For me, the same people who started it, the same people who started it. it for me, it comes down to whether you think America as a military nation, as a military force is capable of doing something that isn't in the service of enriching capital. Yeah. I don't think there is. No, I don't. And maybe I'm just cynical. I don't think there is a version of that. And would that, if America went in, would that potentially save some lives and and allow for some alleviation? Right. I think for a period of time, yes, absolutely. We would then create another 20-year period of absolute destabilization, creating another Islamic group, and this will be a continuation of the forever wars. Yeah. I don't. President Biden only five hours ago from when we're recording this made a statement where he said some ludicrous things about, oh, we gave the Afghani people the money and the funds, everything. They squandered it. They didn't do anything about it, which is bullshit. No, we, you did not really train them. You didn't really leave anything for them. This was never about really, as we later, this was never really about making Afghanistan a stable country. You didn't give a shit. He literally went, said, we're not in the business of, yeah. besides Israel, right? Because he, he has, yeah. literally has a statement. But he also said, and he was quite earnest, like, we can't keep nation building. I am the fourth president who is dealing with this shit. We can't keep doing this. Although you have to rip the bandit off at some point. And that's a difficult thing to hear. Yeah. Sometimes the answer is like, well, because it's already so damaged. 
because we it's already so far. Out. We just got to pull out. And I would imagine the best solution, it has to be some kind of an international solution. The Taliban does. We do have to negotiate with the Taliban at some point. Yeah. Whether you like it or not, they are now the governing body. Yep. And people, you know, people think Taliban, oh, crazy extremist islamic they are all yep. those are true but this is not like a nicest thing no they're actually organized they are like they are interested in governance yeah they are interested in maintaining something resembling a civil which society. is also even the scarier thing which is arguably scarier because they're like oh we're going to create an institutional way of of um you know making women second class citizens yeah that's scary but it's it's something you can negotiate with and use power in politics versus ISIS literally just wanted to blow everything up, up, including yeah. themselves. I, I honestly think that this has been a moment in our lives that we're going to be like, oh, shit, yeah. August 15th. You remember that? Like, yeah. that's when the Taliban took Kabul back. Yeah. It, it's horrifying. Yeah. And I don't think, like, a resolution to this, to, to answer that, there there is no. I don't, I really don't think so. I think this is just a, this is just a new chapter in this crazy fucking book of, of, world of yeah. history and just how this shit has been going on for so long yeah and it's sad to say but i don't see a resolution in sight not anytime soon and that's that's the unfortunate matter um you know all this texting your congress people or whatever um I, I, the unfortunate reality is that most because the biggest com- com- countries we've been talking about are the u.s and pakistan mm-hmm. i'm sorry but the idea that the u.s government the pakistani government ever really listens to their constituents especially on foreign policy matters that's never really happened i i've seen a couple people re- especially for like the pakistani diaspora they said you need to ask more of your government well one we're members of the diaspora we don't live in pakistan yeah. so they literally don't have to care about us yeah. two that also assumes that even people who live in pakistan that the government ever really listens to them and i think majority of people in pakistan actually don't give a shit about also specifically that like which is also part of the problem they're critiquing right yeah. but even like in america most people just don't care about anything really and, and especially and when it comes to the muslim world especially foreign policy in general but yeah, yeah. also the muslim world foreign like, policy is too boring yeah, foreign no policy is too boring i mean and to be fair part of that's also because most people are like battered and beaten down in america to begin with like if, if i'm like struggling in america why the fuck should i care mm-hmm. about it's, it's difficult these things are very difficult we're all there's it's it's multiple struggles happening at once and i know we're kind of ending on a dour notes it, it was it's it's so much worse than what you think. Yeah. If you think this is bad, it's so much worse. The floor, the lowest estimate of the deaths, directly deaths and, and like like total deaths from this war from 2001 onwards, the low ball estimate of Afghani civil of Afghani people who were killed was 140,000. Okay, that's easily just not true. Yeah. It has There's to be more. more than that. And that that includes both civilians and soldiers but then you also look at the number of again low ball for displaced and injured afghans afghans it's in the millions they can't really compute that no so the numbers are are, are not comprehensible they're definitely low ball figures we're ending on a sour note but we think this was an important topic where we should stay serious and focus we hope you guys learned something we hope you guys continue to educate yourselves right. on anything that we touched on but didn't have time to go really in depth on yeah. please i would encourage reach, you 
reach uh read more yeah and also like i know we tend to make fun of um infographs like all these colorful infographs but i think it does create some kind of awareness because people do read it i i got asked questions at work today they were like hey what, what what's all this happening i had to explain it and mm-hmm. now one more person knows what's happening mm-hmm. and maybe they'll also donate and it, it's i think it's i think it is a dominant effect i know we make fun of it against sod's wishes fuck infographs <laughs> fuck these fuck social media activism it's so dumb anyways we want to thank you for this more heavy and harrowing episode. We'll try to be light again next week, but you know, uh, we'll probably have to ignore Afghanistan next week yeah. because there's no way we could, you know, be light at the half again. Yep. So this has been episode 11. This is Saad. This is Sherryar. Follow us, like us, and share us wherever Talk. you listen to your hop, your podcasts. Talk to us. Talk to us. This has been Hot Pocket. Good night. <laughs>